This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am with my co-host, Jon, my very, very special snowflake. How are you doing, Jon? <laughs> uh, I'm a special snowflake in summer. It's actually being a bit of a heat wave here. We have, uh, I think we reached 35 degrees Celsius this week. So wow. uh, if you see me kind of diminished throughout the episode, you kind of know why that is. He's <laughs> <laughs> melting. <laughs> oh, People not on YouTube, you missed this completely. Sorry. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that's that, that's the reason to go to YouTube right there. To see me melting. Okay. okay. Yeah, to see Jan's melting snowman impression. All right. So, yes, Snowflake, uh, a special Snowflake, the special Snowflake, talking about open source or open standards or all things open. And it's not entirely clear who they're actually talking to. So this this article um, is calling out some recent um, blog posts that uh, uh, Snowflake published. One which was uh, called "Striking a Balance with Open at Snowflake," and another one where open helps and where it hurts. And basically, these sort of two articles are not blasting open source, but they're they spend a lot of time defending why Snowflake is proprietary, why open source is not always the right answer. And the the author and myself also are a little bit confused because I can't really work out why on earth they're even talking about this. They're, well, obviously, sometimes somebody's asking the question and they feel like they have to provide an answer to it. I guess. But like Snowflake is a very popular technology right now. It's a very successful organization commercially, growing very well, you know, IPO'd, valued well, stock price increasing. Um I just find it like they've clearly found a niche that people are very happy with. That can you know, consuming EDW as a service on cloud? People moving away from their uh, their Teradata's and other similar platforms and wanting to move into this this new world. I, I have no issue. I, I I I'm obviously not the target audience, I guess, for these articles. But like, I just find it strange that that they're putting so much time and effort. Maybe it's not a lot of time and effort. It's just something called out. But I just, yeah, I find it weird that they they seem to be being so defensive and even offensive in, in some areas, you know, talking about how, well, if our software was open, it would be much harder for us to secure it. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of moving into the FUD sort mm-hmm. of uh, side of things, in my personal opinion. Yeah, it's going back a couple of decades. Um. I mean, if they're talking about it, typically companies won't talk about stuff if they don't need to see a reason to talk about it. Why do we talk mm. about stuff? There's two reasons. One, it will different, different, differentiate us. It's something we need to put out there so people can see how good we are and other people can't do this. This is not that kind of narrative. The second mm-hmm. one that I can think of is they feel threatened. They feel threatened by apparently open source and need to kind of preemptively strike to make people believe it when they say that they are what they are and do what they do and stuff like that. 
Now, maybe looking at the technology itself a bit deeper, I kind of gave already a kind of a high-level description there, but when I encountered Snowflake, what was now two, two, three years ago, something like that, I guess, mm -hmm. their main differentiation was basically, uh, I'm going to use the word you hate, serverless autoscaling. Mm -hmm. um, basically, their database uh, product itself isn't all that magical. I mean, it stores data and you can read data and you can update data and you have acid and stuff like that, like a gazillion other closed and open source uh, stuff uh, serve, uh, mm -hmm. products have. What they brought to the table was particularly in the cloud environments. You start the thing and it'll grow with you. It's cloud as it should be. It's uh, flexible. It's growing. It's shrinking. It's paying by the minutes, by the second, by the byte, whatever. And that was their claim to fame. And apparently they do this quite well because as you just noticed, they are quite successful. Yeah. However, their differentiation therefore isn't the product they have, but how they bring it to market, how they have built the infrastructure around it. And that gets them, I would say, not head to head with open source, although they will get some on the product level, they will still get some competition there. But again, I'm saying the product isn't what they differentiate upon. It's this mm. the way they put it into the market. So I'm kind of wondering why they're butting heads against open source and not against the cloud providers. Of course, they yeah. can't really do that because they're fully dependent on the cloud providers. They're kind of in the, in the, in the, the yeah. least flex, the, the least comfortable position where their products, the, the, the code underneath, the, the, the actual database thing is, well, it's a good thing, but that's not what we're actually selling. And they're totally dependent on the cloud providers to provide their actual differentiation being that auto-scaling cloud platform layer. So why are you going out after open source? Cloud providers aren't really pro open source. I mean, Amazon's kind of the poster child of, of uh, yeah, not going into that one today. Uh, <laughs> but also the other two cloud providers typically use open source stuff and serve it up as a as a SaaS service. So that's where the competition is. Yeah, I I don't know. I just think it's. I think it's a little weird. I think it's a little weird kind of tirade from them. And who knows? Maybe there's... Uh, and there's yeah, go ahead. Maybe it's one step further. Because if you think about it, if the cloud providers take open source software and add it as a service, what is stopping mm. uh, Google, Microsoft, Amazon to pick a up-and-coming database thing and also put it in the market as a scalable data layer? They could totally do that. Now, those cloud providers won't be building their own data database underneath. They will take an open source database. So by yep. preemptively shooting at open source, if a cloud provider comes with, oh, you've got Snowflake, we got this based on insert open source project of choice here, it also autoscales. Mm then it becomes the narrative, of course, for Snowflake potentially to say, yeah, but it's based on an open source product. And as we've discussed before, you can't, it's harder to secure, it's harder to do this, blah, 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 stuff like that. So from mm. that point of view, they could actually be kind of insulating themselves against a um, aggressive risk. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you, you see, you definitely see at least two different types of, of open source um 
kind of projects kind of springing up you see the the true innovations the things that are truly unique where some some person or some group of people just go hey there's a thing that doesn't exist i would like that thing to exist and so they make that thing exist and it's truly game-changing truly different and unique and amazing and other things then copy it and you know the world moves on you also have the hmm I like X, but I wish it was open source. Mm-hmm. And you see you know, that strain of development also happening a lot. You know, the, there's any number of websites dedicated to open source version or open source alternative to X, and you can go and mm. yeah, but that's search for those sites. Those potentially yeah, yeah, yeah. are other way around. I mean, the only real example I can think of of a commercial product that got an open source version is .NET, when the the Mono project kind of they didn't reverse engineer it, but kind of built the same APIs in an open source thing. That's the no, one example. no, no. But think think about um, like a lot of things start off with oh, I like such and such, but I'd rather it was open source. And you know, you can you can think of any number of um, IoT the, sphere. A lot of the say again in the IoT sphere, there's a lot of that stuff where closed source IoT business applications now have open versions because people want to tinker around with yeah. their own smart lighting, smart home, and stuff like that. That's another one. Yeah, but I mean, you can even go, you know, the the inspiration for GIMP photo editor example was. Yeah. Uh, was Photoshop initially? Yep. You know, you, it wasn't paint. people didn't. Well, <laughs> people didn't like magically invent, um, you know, a variety of different databases out of thin air. You know, they there was sort of uh, the initial precursors to most of those were closed source databases and things okay, like Postgres true. and MySQL. All those. Okay, but now you're going back very far in time. I mean, you're talking yeah, like but, fifty years ago, but is that still sure. valid today? Yeah, I think it absolutely yep. is. I think a lot of people start off with an idea. They, they they see something, they want something, but it's not open and they value openness for whatever reason. It could be that they they just want something that they can tinker with themselves. It could be that they, they want to deploy something at massive scale but don't want to pay for it at massive scale. And you can debate what they're paying <laughs> a different way <laughs> another time. But... Um, you know that there's there there's a variety of different ways that that can go, but I, yeah, I mean maybe maybe that is their angle. But I just I just think it's a little bit weird. Um, hey, I always was surprised yeah. that Snowflake actually got the attention they gotten, and that the cloud providers didn't go there first. Because I know that all the cloud providers have tried to make these. Scalable databases, SaaS level yeah. databases, a part of their uh, uh, of their infrastructure. Uh, I'm not going to name up names because I don't know enough of all three cloud providers and don't want to make any favorites here. But they all have stuff like that. But still, Snowflake was able to apparently innovate in a way that made a differentiated a differentiated offering that cannibalized the the cloud providers. Now, when I say cannibalized, you shouldn't see it as negative because the cloud providers still benefit, right? Because as long as it's running on their cloud. They're yep. still earning money without zero, with zero effort, basically. Well, they still need to get the yep. stuff, uh, keep the infrastructure running. So I guess the cloud providers, depending on which one it is, probably there's going to be some differentiation there. They don't really care if you're using Snowflake or something else, as long as you're just running on the cloud. Mm, I think they do care. I think they would love, like, I think Google would love BigQuery to be dominating 
Snowflake, for example. Mm, I'm I, not I, sure. I mean, when I was at Microsoft, and it's been years now, so I think you can talk about this. Pro maybe things have changed, so don't take this as it's still that way mm. over there. But I was a pre-sales engineer there for the Azure environment, and we basically, from the technical sales point, point of view, we got free papers as long as it runs on Azure. Great. And actually, if you look at Microsoft and how they embrace the Linux and the open source thing, that was basically the messaging. It doesn't need to be Windows. It doesn't need to be our product. But then again, Microsoft is totally pivoting towards being a cloud first, a cloud provider first. Their own products become less important, if I say yeah. so. While the Google and the Amazon still have a secondary, well, a primary business, which is bigger than their cloud uh, business at this moment. And that's yeah. what Microsoft actually tried to build uh, or, or change very hard in the last three, four years, making that cloud the product and not something you use to sell your other products. Yeah. But, you know, I think if you look at, it, to me at least, it's no, it's no real surprise how popular Snowflake has, has become. Just because if you look at, some of the alternatives like you know before we started recording we looked at you know teradata like um their you know snowflake are now approaching a quarter of the revenue of teradata as a whole something i think they might have just eclipsed that but say around uh 20 to 30 percent of their of teradata's revenue in a very very short period of time teradata has been around for a very long time and snowflake is just burning up the uh, revenue and kind of approaching them very quickly. So it's it sort of, you look at a lot of those, uh, you know, IBM NetEaser and other EDW solutions, like the the old way of doing things versus just consuming Snowflake must seem like, like manna from heaven to many folks that are in this EDW space. Like they, they, there's so much that they potentially no longer need to care of care about if you again if you believe the hype and if you believe the the magic behind the the veil and uh, I don't know enough about snowflake to know how much is how much is hype and how much is true so I'm I'm not going to go down that uh, that particular rabbit hole but it's it's a curious uh, it's a curious conversation they're having with the with the public via their blog anyway yeah and I mean you mentioned now Natisa and Teradata would you say that Oracle and SAP are not being affected, at least not in the same importance? I I don't really know enough about the EDW space to know for sure. I would imagine that they are being, I would certainly imagine Oracle are being affected. Um, SAP... They're more of a service thing as well, right? Then yeah, grown the, further the SAP into sort of ecosystem is so is yeah, yeah, so yeah. broad that I think probably yeah, so they're that, yeah. somewhat more insulated. Well, y you're right, but I was specifically thinking of the Netezer part of their business, okay. which is the more of the uh, the EDW specific element. But yeah, you're right, IBM as a as a whole, um, yeah. But it it sort of. Um, before we before we spend all episode on Snowflake, and um, it it sort of ties also, perhaps, into our kind of next article inspiration, which is that uh, C3.ai 
is partnering now with Snowflake um, to deliver AI solutions or AI development suite that works natively with Snowflake. And you know, you posited that perhaps it's it they're trying to lay a, a groundwork or a framework for potential open source competition. And I wonder if it's I wonder if it's a bit more nuanced than that. I wonder if they're now starting to partner up with other kind of closed source platforms to bring more technologies inside their walled garden, for want of a better phrase. Um, so that they can try and insulate their sort of user base from more of the open source technologies and instead have them consume more and more of, you know, Snowflake's value add services because look how easy it is, look how seamless the experience is and that side of things. So I don't know if this is, I know nothing about C3.ai beyond what's in this, uh, what's in this article, but I, I do think that the timing of it is a little bit curious. I wonder if there's something there. Um, it's definitely atypical. I mean, especially on the AI, machine learning, knowledge graph kind of points, uh, technologies. Most organizations try to integrate with open standards. I mean, they try to integrate with existing mm. things and open standards make that easier because then you connect to one open standard and you have a gazillion things they can integrate with. So the openness isn't the thing here. It's more of the integrating with existing stuff because you're either an AI company or you're not. Being a database company that also does some AI stuff, that doesn't really work. Now, in this case, they're going a partnership with this C3.ai. Depending on how close-knit this partnership is, are they potentially looking at joining together completely in the end or not? Whatever. But still, they're kind of putting on their one egg in the basket because they're integrating with this one provider of AI technology. And they're kind of bypassed by all the rest. And if you look at machine learning, artificial intelligence, it's a it's wild west. It's still changing so much. Typical mm. ML, pretty standard classification regression. We all know that. But if you go higher up in the stack into the real AI, the neural networks, things like that, sure, there's some standardization, but there's still a lot of differentiation to be had there, especially for potential vendors of AI technology. I mean, from the consumption side, you pretty much covered with the standard stuff. But if you want to get the differentiation from that, only going with a single thread of thought, a single mind, it's sounds it feels very limiting so it has to have another reason because they won't innovate the rest of the world basically that's what i think mm. is true so yeah the closed walled uh area might work i mean it works for apple so i guess it could work for them too the difference here is that apple and i'm taking the behemoth heroes example of course mm. has so many different product lines that they all have it in the closed garden while snowflake just has the one you can't it's again it's a single egg in their ball in the basket at the moment while well, apple has a, 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 hundreds of eggs in their basket so if one doesn't it's provide a very large egg though could be an ostrich egg might even be a dinosaur egg yeah it could also be a, an empty egg i mean there's a dutch phrase for that i'm not going to mention here but i mean if this fails not that being said maybe this is just a marketing grab uh, the, apart from their product uh, snowflake also has very good marketing uh, mm -hmm. I find so maybe this is just another 
marketing thing. Hey, everybody does AI. You don't have to go away. You can, we can do AI as well. We'll integrate with them. Because, of course, this is an announcement for a partnership. This is not something that exists in the product yet. Yeah, yeah. Norm- reasonably, I think it's going to be six months to a year before something actually emerges in the product itself, except just passing it on and putting it back in, having to, which is that's not really an integration for me. So maybe it's just that, just uh, keeping up the hype, as you mentioned earlier, to make them seem still relevant because all of the other database vendors are uh, betting more and more on the integrated AI, integrated machine learning to add metadata, filter data, get a searchable data, whatever. So it's something they're lacking. And again, if their only redeeming quality is that auto-scaling serverless platform, They'll need something more if they want to keep relevant because mm-hmm. you need to you need to elevate your product all the time. Yeah, so you will be kept caught up. Well, you mentioned the word serverless a couple of times, <laughs> and so on to our final final article uh, for today uh, is why apparently why now is the right time for an open source serverless strategy? What? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I, so I, I've been thinking about this, and the only reason... So open standards, yes, we, we touched on that previously. Open standards make a lot of sense for many, many, many reasons. So an open standards-based serverless strategy, I can see that. But an open source serverless strategy... I don't know why it matters. I don't know if you're if you're going to adopt serverless the most important thing I would think is that that service works for you. And what happens on the back end really I'm not sure I mean, people can definitely care about and have opinions about these things, but that seems very much secondary to this. And the only reason I can think that you would care about an open source serverless strategy or platform is if you as a developer wanted to be able to spin something up yourself so that you could test your application against a mini variant of whatever this serverless technology is. So you can test it without it costing anything. I can't really think of any other reason why anyone would care about open source serverless. Can you? Am I missing something here? Oh, you're definitely missing more than one thing, uh, not only here, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> serverless in the end, the, 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 the implementation of that is infrastructure. And infrastructure is hardware, and hardware, we do have open source standards for hardware design. Mm. But the infrastructure will always be proprietary to the guy, the person, uh, the girl, the woman, the person, the entity, providing that compute yeah. as a service, which is what serverless compute is, providing computers as a service. Yeah. So for me, it would only make sense if you're looking at the orchestration layer. Because you want to, as you say, be able to have your CICD pipelines work towards your production environment in the big, big cloud and towards the development environment, which is under my desk, perhaps. 
So having mm. an orchestration layer that is able to use serverless compute regardless of where it exists, that would make sense. And that can be done in two ways. Either you would have an open source standard, now I'm using the standard word again, as you mentioned mm. earlier already, on the serverless compute part, or you yeah. have your orchestration, be it Terraform, uh, Jenkins, whatever you're using, have connectors, integrations with the different uh, serverless compute entities out there and make that work. Now, from my personal experience, the latter is very hard because looking at a, at a SaaS component, because serverless compute is just a SaaS service, yep. SaaS services by definition are very proprietary because I, as a company A, XYZ, have decided that this is the way it can be best utilized and I want to differentiate yeah. from a competition. So the way, the things I provide, the way I do it, how the dependencies are cut together, is is an IP address part of, an, of a NIC or is a NIC group of IP addresses? Just things like that make it very hard to make those things work interchangeably and future-proofing it because since it's my SaaS service, if I decide next version release, major release, I'm going to change things, that'll change. So from that point of view, having that as an open source standard on the serverless compute part would make sense. And if we believe, big if, that serverless compute is actually being used in anger all over the world, I guess then today would be the time to start thinking about that. But I don't think serverless compute is anywhere near that yet. No. No, not at all. And I, I, I fully agree that open standards make a huge amount of sense in this space because exactly as you said, you're going to want to control, to um, automate, and to have you know some method of even gathering data from those in a way that is is something that is standard. So you can switch across different serverless providers um, relatively easily but that still to me is is very different from whatever that serverless platform is doing on the back end yeah. and i i don't know maybe maybe i am i'm thoroughly misunderstanding this article there's uh, also no incentive for the cloud providers to do anything like this because there's only no. one reason that the cloud providers actually are pushing serverless compute IaaS is not sticky. If I've got a VM mm. running on Amazon, I want to move to Azure or to Google. Yep. It takes some effort, obviously, but it's fairly easy to do because it's just Linux or Windows operating systems. Yeah, Simple. Serverless compute, again, that's that SaaS layer. That's where the cloud provider has given you their ideal, this is how it should work. And moving mm. from that to something else, oh, that's a lot more sticky. So cloud providers really want people to use serverless compute. Yeah. And that's also why a lot of people, I think, are still quite hesitant to go that way, except for some small glue kind of connecting things. Okay, so so maybe there is something here. So based on what you've just said, which is that I take it all back. Well, quite possibly, <laughs> but the the so the, we agree that the cloud providers have no incentive to do this. But are we perhaps saying that it's it's not about the cloud providers. Are we perhaps saying that the reason there needs to be open source serverless tech is so that it can be more of a kind of uh, bottom-up movement, like a ground, grassroots kind of movement where 
people want this open serverless technology because they want to remove the lock-in elements of this so that people want sure. cloud providers to begin providing this so you know it needs to get developed first the cloud providers clearly aren't going to develop it but you can absolutely bet that if someone develops a bunch of tech that a cloud provider can run on a back end mm -hmm. provide a serverless service and make a lot of money doing it they absolutely will do it regardless of whether it competes with their own offering or not if they can make money doing it they'll do it i think it's a tougher one this one because i mean this uh, there's it's been proven about an open telemetry it's a way of sometimes almost proprietary oh everywhere has its own, own little thingy open telemetry kind of made a single thing and everybody's adopting it e even the big cloud providers everybody goes to open telemetry mm -hmm. now but for service compute again that stickiness IaaS isn't sticky they need mm. they need something that makes compute sticky on their cloud so while for any other kind of API interchanging data formats whatever a lot of people even big cloud providers I can see them totally in favor of doing that because hey that's more revenue for me because people can use my cloud service now too I think for the serverless compute that's just maybe my short-sightedness I think mm. it's a different uh, it's a different animal there because that's something they've been desperately looking for to get stickiness on where the VMs run and yeah certainly the users of the technology want this is it going to happen I would say not in my lifetime I may die tomorrow mm. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And on that note. <laughs> yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> all right, let's wrap it. Okay, that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast. You can become a patron. Every contribution really helps. We're on YouTube. You can look at us. You can see us do silly things. You can like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell, do all the YouTube stuff. You can go to www.roaringalpha.org. There's a link there to the Patreon page and all the information about the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter using the at RoaringElephant tag. And you can send feedback to podcast at RoaringElephant.org. Until next time, my name is, I hope I'll live more than one more day, Jon. And my name is, serverless is just sass, Dave. Serverless is just sad? Okay, whatever. We look forward <laughs> to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. It's not just SaaS, it's special.